have a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for your presence here this afternoon. And Lord, we ask you, Lord, you continue to work in our hearts. Lord, we want to go deeper with you. Lord, we know that as a church, we are talking about and thinking about going deeper with you, Father. But Lord, we ask you that you'd begin to take us on that journey, Lord. We know that there's things that we need to bring before you. We know that there's uh, heart issues, there's situations, there's challenges, there's character issues, Father, all that need to be brought before the throne. And Lord, we're humbly and willingly available for that to happen because we know we need you. We know we want to become more like Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask you to give us strength to walk this path, led by the Spirit, that we wouldn't fear, we wouldn't turn aside, we wouldn't stay in the shallow ground, but rather that we would continue to pursue you and go deeper with you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Have you had a chance to say hi to each other yet? You've already done that? Fantastic. Have you got your revival times yet? Well, just want to highlight for you uh, on the th- page three, there's the titles for this continuation in the series on integrity. So we're going to be uh, going today with integrity in, te- in intentions and words. Then next week, Christian will have integrity in relationships. And then following on from that, up, integrity of the heart, integrity of the eyes, and integrity in your life-changing decisions. Now, how many of you have been with us for the previous series on integrity? Been good? Encouraging for you so far? Fantastic. While we've got our revival times, I also want to turn your attention to the inside cover. Coming up in just this week's time on Wednesday and Thursday, we have the next two in our series in the evening school. Now, we've had many requests from people, are you doing any Bible school teaching? And of course, we do Bible school teaching all the time in Wednesdays and Thursdays. I guess what happens is that people's brains switch off when it comes announcement time. Um, But Wednesdays, effective prayer. Thursday's effective communication. If you need a stronger prayer life, come out on Wednesdays. If you want to learn how to communicate your love and communicate in, in relationships in a much more healthy and whole way, that's on Thursday evenings where we're looking at setting healthy boundaries, learning to listen well, learning to communicate what's going on inside of you, learning to meet the needs of other people. So it's going to be a great time on Thursday evenings. There's more information on the inside cover in terms of dates. There is a registration form um, and we'd love to see you on Wednesday or Thursday. So, if we assume today that intentions are the inward motivation or reason in our hearts for why we might speak or act in a certain way, A, and B, that words are the way that we communicate the fruit of our hearts to others, then I was always setting myself up for failure with this message. Because I had to spend all week checking my intentions about the words that I was going to be bringing to you in this sermon. And I started out with the noble intention of confrontation with the truth. That machine gun of truth. Any of you felt the machine gun of truth before? Sometimes it leaves people a little bit like they're in the firing line rather than being led into doing business with God. So that was an intention I had to try set aside. And I thought, what about the the sword of conviction? But you know, the sword of conviction might be a little bit too subtle for someone like me. And of course, I was steering clear from any defensiveness or self-protection or fear because, well, this isn't about me. It's about your relationship with God because, as you know, I have everything under control in my own life. Amen. So basically, I gave up with trying to check intentions. I just thought, you know, the irrelevant analogies don't even help you. And also, we're trying to know my intentions well, that's really going to be difficult. So what I can pray this, morning, uh, this afternoon is search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Or say it a different way, ask the Holy Spirit to help me in my ministering to you today to expose and challenge intentions in the right way so that we can all be encouraged to go deeper with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want us all to begin first by agreeing on something. We all know some great people. Some of you might even be those great people. You know, those people that we can trust. When they say they're going to do something, they surprisingly actually do it without coercion, with a great heart. And that's a rare quality these days. It is a very rare quality, so, so rare that I don't know that any of us can say that about every single decision that we've made and every single thing that comes out of our mouth. But as a church, we are heading in a, into a season of going deeper with God. And if that's something that you're hungry to do, can I invite you on this journey? I think we all need to proceed on this journey. To go deeper with God, we need to start in a common place. And the common place is this. 
We know something about God. We know something about ourselves. And we know something about the world and the people around us. But we don't know everything that there is to know about any of these things. And there's room for us to be challenged and go deeper with God. And so I'll ask you this afternoon, are you prepared to be challenged? Are you prepared to see yourself in a mirror? And if you do, to repent if we need to. Now, last time that I was here preaching just a few weeks ago, I introduced to you this, um, this uh, story of Gideon, just by way of an understanding of, of how we can begin to deal with the issues of the heart. Now, if you read Gideon in Gideon 6, there's basically four times that God approaches him. Uh, the first time, he comes up to him, and Gideon's threshing the wheat, and he's just like, yeah, okay, um, thanks, God. Why are you telling me that there's a God in heaven? If there's a God in heaven, why is all this stuff happening in our nation? Basically, he started with the furthest ring from himself. It's the nation that's in trouble. Everything's going wrong in the nation. And God says to him again, no, mighty man of valor, I'm calling you. And now Gideon starts to make it a little bit more personal. Well, why are you calling me? I mean, I come out of the, the most insignificant family, out of the most insignificant tribe. So it's got a little bit closer to him. He's recognizing that there's uh, uh, something in his psyche about inferiority as a people. But then it comes in another ring closer because now the Lord comes and challenges him about the fact that his father is one of the lead idol worshippers in the town, so much so that he's the one that built the temple to Dagon. And so he then has to deal with his father issue. But even that wasn't going deep enough because the next time God comes to him and calls him, Gideon is putting out this fleece, saying, if the fleece is wet and the ground's dry, I'll believe you, God. If the fleece is dry and the ground's wet, I'll believe you, God. What was being exposed in that? Finally, Gideon was confronted with the truth that it wasn't about the nation, it wasn't even about the people he was from. It wasn't even about his dad. It was about what was going on inside of him. And the issue was he didn't trust God. He knew that he needed to trust God. For God to do through his life what God intended to do, the liberation of the people of Israel, he had to come to a place where he himself personally was able to trust God. What if I was to ask you in a similar format? What's wrong with the world today? Oh, you know, the, the Tories are still in government. Or maybe, you know, my boss is just really giving me a hard time at work. Or my, you know, my, my friends, you know, they're just treating me real bad. Well, if you're really going to push me, I don't want to talk badly about my husband or wife, but yeah, it's really my husband or wife. They're, they're the problem. But we never get to the point where we're like, what about us? What is going on for us? What is going on in our hearts? What is challenging us? What is limiting us from moving forward in the call of God on our life? You see, the call of God on your life does not depend on the person next to you. His plan, his purpose for you does not require that they fix up, that they start to behave how you want them to behave. They start to encourage you the way that you need them to encourage you and all of these things in order for you to start stepping into the call of God. The call of God comes when we say, you know what? I've got some stuff I need to take responsibility for. I'm ready to go deeper with God. You're ready to go deeper with God when you say, you know what, I've got stuff going on in my life that requires me to press in because it's an issue with me, not an issue with the people around me. And if we agree that, that today there's something that we need to take responsibility for, let's perhaps think about the issue of our intentions and our words. And I want to challenge your assumptions here today. The assumption that you always have pure intentions. How many of you, when you get angry, go straight to that verse, and he casts him out of the temple with righteous anger? That's me. <laughs> Righteously angry. Hallelujah. Because we've got 100% pure intentions, apparently. I want to challenge the assumption that your logic is as great as that of Spock. No emotion just pure logic. I want to challenge the assumption that the words that you carry, that the words that you, you speak carry the intention and the heart that you intend. Let's be honest with ourselves here today. So often we listen to messages with this in mind. Yeah, that's my friend. 
that is my sinful, terrible friend. I'm going I'm to go straight away and I'm going to say, listen to that message. Because he or she is the one that has a problem to deal with. But you know, every time the preacher was speaking about this great example of Christ-likeness, I felt like he was talking about me. I'm also going to tell, listen to this sermon, and that's me. The model of perfect intention, the model of great words. I think we all know that none of those things are true. But we are earnestly seeking to pursue Christ. So I want to invite you to have a genuine red dot moment when we explore this today. Colin's been talking about that recently. You know, when you look at a map and you want to figure out where you're at, you always look for the red dot and it says, you are here now. Where are we today? We've all got intentions and we all speak words. I hope, at least if you're communicating with people around you. And we all start life with good intentions, maybe even great intentions. But the factory setting on these great intentions are for our own good. They're self-centered. I will do all I can to further and benefit myself. Now, you might be thinking with me starting out like that after just trying to be nice with my intentions at the beginning, that I'm bringing the machine gun out already, that machine gun of truth. But I want to ask you in a more reflective way. I'm not here to I'm here to challenge myself as much as everyone. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever used any one of these favorite phrases? I'm here for you in my friendships, in your friendships. Have you ever said that? Someone's going through a difficult time and you're just like sitting with them and you're like, I'm here for you. You know, if you need anything, just let me know. You're here? person's over there. You're, you're, you're here? Yeah, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Okay, I need you right now. Well, if you need me right now, you need to come over here because I'm here for you. I'm not here with you. I'm here waiting for you to come over and get some help. Or have any of you ever done this... Um, You've seen an old friend. Oh, man, we must go for coffee sometime. It is so great. I have missed you. I want to catch up. I want to find out what's going on in your life. We've got to go for coffee. Sure, that would be great. Have you got your diary? Oh, oh. Um, I, I mustn't have my, my phone. Text me. Text me. Yeah, yeah. And then they text you and no reply. Any of you ever had that? Any of you ever said this? Hey, man, are you going to be there on Wednesday night? We've got this, this uh, dinner thing. We're going to go out for Christmas dinner. Are you going to be there? If God wills. If God wills, yeah. yeah. Um, if he wills, I'll be there. Or maybe you make a big mistake. And someone comes to you and says, hey, man, listen. You know, I trusted you with that information. And for some reason, I'm hearing about that information coming back from way over here. What's going on? Oh, come on, man, I'm only human. I, I make these mistakes. We have all of these amazing tactics which uh, basically come from an intention. Protect me, keep me safe, make anything that comes across negative seem okay, and keep everybody at a distance. One of my favorites is, are you going to be there? I hope to be there. What does that even mean? Now, why do we do this? We do this because Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So there's something challenging there. That there is a heart sickness that we have. And it is a self-defensive, self-seeking agenda. And it's a change of heart that's required for us to begin to walk to a place where we see integrity in our intentions and words. What do I mean by that? I mean the words that we speak reveal the intention of our hearts which are good towards you. If the intentions of our hearts are negative, bad, evil, etc., then it's not integrity. Integrity requires righteousness or goodness to be at the core. It requires an intention to actually do what we said we're going to do. And we'll look at this in a bit. They're simple. I say yes, I mean yes. I say no, I mean no. Basic principles. How do we get this new heart? 
how does it start? And for all of us, it's begun at the point of being born again. And I hope we all understand that the point of being born again is that we all start from ground zero together, and we all start to grow to become like Christ together. I don't know anybody that was born again as a fully-fledged Christian ninja. They had the wisdom of the Holy Spirit every time they spoke. The fruit was on display. The love of God, everybody experienced the love of God and the gifts of the Spirit magnified in triplicate. I don't know anyone that was born again like that. But we assume that that's the case when it comes to our communication, our intentions, and our words. And our intentions and our words need to come under review as part of our new existence as Christians. See, we are created born again. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. We come to a place where we say, Lord, you know what? I was so messed up in the way that I was trying to do life because I was broken. I was under sin. I lived in slavery to sin. But now that I've come to you, now that I've received forgiveness of sin, I can be free from sin. And I can choose to walk out a life with healthy intention and healthy words that begin to speak out of our mouths. That's why one of the key demonstrations of receiving the Spirit is a change in the way you speak with the way that you glorify God, which is the way you speak towards people. One of the clearest signs of that is if you have a blasphemous mouth, you're swearing all the time, and you receive the Holy Spirit, and suddenly something's happened. That's cleaned up. The way that you speak is suddenly seasoned with the grace of God. But we all need to remember that that new creation beginning was part of our walk now that we go through the renewal of our minds. We are called to ascend the hill of the Lord, to walk a new way, to walk holy, to look out for possible pitfalls, and to seek to become more like Christ. So our new hearts start to operate from new intentions. New hearts operating from new intentions, which has to do with our values and what we believe about what Jesus said. The second area we're going to look at is the issue of words, intentions and words. Now James 3, the half-brother of, sorry, James, in James 3, we're going to read from the half-brother of Jesus. And he's addressing something that we don't hear too much in the public space today. Choosing to season our tongues or control what we say for righteousness sake. Now, a lot of us will have challenges about the things we're allowed to say because of political correctness sake. You might not be able to free in your office to share your faith. You might not be, feel free to express your views. You might not feel free to, to say what's really in your heart and mind in a specific situation because of political correctness. But what about if our tongues were to be submitted to righteousness? He highlights this in James 3 when he says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh, fresh water. Now, James is speaking about something that all of us have an issue with. Does anyone have an issue with their tongue here today? Probably about four people. The rest of you perfect ones, please just go home. I don't have anything to say to you today, but we all have a challenge with our tongues. One of my challenges with the tongue is if someone comes to me and says, Gabriel, I need to talk to you about something, I have three seconds to prepare, calm myself down, chill out, and listen. You can talk to me now. And they might say, you know what, I'm doing drugs, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend again, I've got somebody pregnant, I got myself fired, and I'll be like, 
dude, we're going to help you whatever you need. We're going to be with you. We're going to help you come uh, adjust in this situation and, and, and clean up your own mess. We're going to be there for you. I'm great at that. Some people can testify to that. But if you come up to me and say, dude, I'm doing drugs, and I haven't had those three seconds, what comes out of my mouth is not exactly what would come out of my mouth if I'd had those three seconds. What are you all about? Come on. I've been counseling you. I've been spending every week, every, an hour every week with you, two hours every week with you, and then you don't tell me for two years? that this is what you're going through. What are you on about? That's my, one of my challenges. What is your challenge? Is it when somebody says something you don't like? Somebody says something too confrontational? Somebody starts to talk about their favorite topic that's not your favorite topic? What, what sparks the loss of your control of your tongue? Now, James is speaking into that situation, but I think he's also had some time to mull over some stuff that Jesus said, because Jesus said... Um, in, uh, we're reading from the message version today, Matthew 5, 33. Don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk, saying, I'll pray for you, and never doing it, or saying, God be with you, and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate your words to get your own way, you go wrong. Now, many of us will know that in a different format uh, when we read the ESV or New King James and so on, where the Lord challenges us not to make vows by heaven, by earth, by uh, the hairs on our head or by Jerusalem, but rather to simply say yes or no. But it's, it puts a different light on it when we start to see this different perspective on how we can start to dress things up and, and speak things out. And, and James is probably thinking, Jesus said that. And it was profound. Like people, yes and yes and no and no. But then the more he observes, the more he sees that people are not caring about what they're speaking. They're not being careful about the things coming out of their mouths. And so he addresses it and challenges it and says, listen, we've got to understand that for us to really be perfect Christians, and when we say perfect, we mean mature Christians within the context of our fallen state, Mature Christians, we've got to learn to control our tongues. If you're in here on a Sunday, looking nice and holy and put on your Sunday best, but Friday night you're talking about things that you shouldn't be talking about while you're getting wasted with your mates, then there's an issue that's going on there with your tongue and how we're using our tongues and are they for the glory of God or not. So what I wanted to do is rather than... Um, uh, take a baseball bat, I want us to take a, a journey and think about some pitfalls that we might want to avoid as Christians as we seek to grow in integrity and grow in the use of our words. I'm going to use some just key themes that I'll highlight through a list of 10 example uh, situations to highlight where perhaps intentions or words are offline. Now, it's really important that as we're thinking about these and considering these that we need to use the gift of discernment. Any of you heard of the discerning of spirits? The gift of the discerning of spirits? It's in the list of nine gifts of the spirit. What do you think it means? Mostly we're like, what's going on with you? I can see a spirit of fear. I can see a spirit of control. I can see a spirit of... Uh, uh, and we try and discern stuff that's going on in other people. How about we use this gift discerning of spirits, turn it on ourselves for a little while first. Start to think about what's going on on the inside when we're speaking to people. Second, this issue of fear when it comes to real, genuine interactions. The way that we interact with people, the way that we communicate with people is largely driven by either fear or Love. Most negative reactions, anger, control, etc., flows out of fear, whereas love encapsulates the entirety of the Christian message. That can include being afraid of the truth, being afraid of people speaking 
about what's really going on for us. So there's those two dynamics, the issue of discerning of spirits, turning that gift on ourselves. The second of understanding, are we operating out of fear or are we operating out of love? The third, are we operating as orphans or are we operating as sons? See, orphans have self-reliance at the core. They, have, they are capable, self-centered, don't need anyone else. Whereas sons and daughters are people that have learned to walk in partnership with the living God. So let's take a journey. Let's look out for 10 different situations that we want to make sure we avoid when we're trying to develop healthy, whole communication, healthy, whole intentions. Situation one, watch out for being a temporary sacrifice. Temporary sacrifice. And this happens so much when we come into church and when we come to a time of worship and when people are watching, we lift our hands. Jesus, I give you everything. Is everyone watching? Lord, I give you everything. Lord, 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 I really, I really give you everything. With a heart that's not surrendered. And we're there trying to worship God and they're making sure people are seeing how holy we are in worship. And what we do is we've got our idols. So imagine this is an idol. We're saying, Lord, I really, really want to worship you, but I also really want to keep this wonderful, shiny idol. How can I protect it? So in our actions, what we do is we come and we sing along. We look righteous. We try to walk this walk of faith the best way we know how but without a genuine heart, surrender. And we take our idol and we say, God, my relationship, my job, my dreams, my hunger for money, my desire for power, whatever my idol might be, maybe it's just simply getting to play Call of Duty or something like that for a couple of hours every day or getting to go to the gym every single day, whatever it is, a thing that's an idol. And we take that idol and we're like, Jesus, I'm giving this to you. Now, I want you to imagine that this whole thing is a blazing fire, this platform that we're on right now. And we take that idol and we set it down right at the edge. Jesus, I've given it to you, Lord. I've given it to you. I've given it to you. I praise you, Lord. I want to give it to you. Wait, wait, but no, I don't, I don't, really, I don't really want to give it to you. No, Lord, I, I want to give it to you. No, no, I, I don't want Lord, Lord, look at it. It's, it's not even singed. It must be like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. It's been in the fire, and you haven't destroyed it. Lord, can I keep it, please? Okay, God, there's got to be a way that we can keep the idol and me in my relationship with you. Is that okay? So what happens when people come and they're wrestling with surrendering to God and they're wrestling with giving stuff up to God and they're trying to walk an externally holy life but they haven't reached that point where they're saying, Jesus, really? I mean this. I give you everything and I leave it on the altar. If it means that I don't go back to the well-paid job, if it means that I don't go back to that relationship, if it's a sinful relationship, if it means that I don't go back to those passions and desires, then I won't do it. Now, I'm using this as an excuse, but for me, gym work used to be an idol. I used to live in the gym. My mom probably thought, where is this guy? I spent more time at the gym than I did sitting at the dinner table, and that means a lot. But then when I came to church, I was like, I can't be doing this idol thing of got to be strong, got to be taking care of stuff, and you know, got to be able to beat other people up, which was my main motivation, be strong to be, beat other people up. So I left it at the altar. Now, you can probably say now today, Gabriel should have kept up with it, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. I ran 22 kilometers this week, bless Jesus. So if you want to come and join me on this drive of getting healthy, for sure. But for me, it was an idol, and I had to leave it, and I had to walk away from that, and all of the friends I had because of the gym scene, and all of that uh, motivation and input, because for me, it was taking up way too much of my bandwidth about me being strong and trying to look good, being stronger than other people in the gym. 
Now, that's a long time ago. There's other idols that I'm constantly having to lay down before the Lord. But what about you? What are the issues that we need to really give to God? Because on our journey with Christ, what we need to understand is the things that we say to Jesus mean something to him. Don't be saying, Jesus, I give you everything when you really mean I'll give you 5%. Don't be saying, Jesus, I'm living for you when living for Jesus means coming to church on a Sunday for one and a half hours and that's it. And probably then you came in 25 minutes late. That's not integrity and intention and words before Jesus. So let's watch out for that pitfall. Let's watch out for falling and stumbling into that. Let's, when we pray something, when we say something to God, let's mean it because it's serious. God is watching. Second area, the invisible, holy Christian. You know, the, the invisible Christian is one of those people that, you know, they come into church and They're just like, this is a scary place. I've got to fit in with all of these scary Christians. I mean, look at them. They look so holy and righteous. They've got their hands raised. The glow of glory is on their face. And you know, I've got to fit in with these people. I've got to learn to, what do they do? Okay, let me worship like they, okay, let me behave like they behave. And then someone comes up to you as a nice new invisible Christian and they say to you, hey, I need you to help me. And you're like, yes, yes, sure, sure. Uh, What do you need? I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to do anything. Okay, thank you. Do you need anything? No, 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 don't worry about me. I'm all okay. Now, what's the intention? The intention is for you to think, I'm super awesome. I'm super helpful. I'm willing to do whatever you need me to do. So every time we meet, I am always going to be very, very willing. I don't know enough about this Christian walk to challenge you, but I'm sure you've got it right. Um, so, so don't you worry about what I need. You just go, go ahead and keep telling me what you need. Now, I'd, I guess that no one here really identifies with that, but be aware that there are some people out there that literally live waiting for you to take the lead in their life, and they're just doing whatever they need to do in order to keep you happy and involved in their life. We need to help people to step out in the Father's love for them. We need to help them step out into learning how to express their needs, to communicate, to actually be part of the relationship, not be the invisible bit facilitating all of your needs, but somebody that has a place and a part in your relationship. Number three, um, the issue of the brick wall. Now, are there any brick walls here? We normally refer to them as men. And what that looks like is this. Hey, um, you know, I'm really going through this really difficult situation and I need need your help. And this is what happens. I need you to help me. Inside, what's going on? I don't know. I don't know how to help you. I don't even know how to begin to connect with the fact that you've got emotions. Emotions are scary. Please don't bring your emotions to our relationship. Otherwise, what you're going to get is this. But God is calling us to learn to love people, to learn to minister to them, to not be afraid of emotions, to not be afraid of the fact that people are going through real situations and learning to interact with them in love. Now, see what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say in this situation that, guys, Many of us might have an intention of, I really would like to, but at the same time, I really don't know how to. So we don't do anything. How about we go with that, I really would like to, rather than I don't know how to. How how about we go with, okay, you know, I I really don't handle emotions well, but I'm going to start to try and understand where you're coming from. I'm going to start to try and hear you. I'm going to start to try and minister to you. That's flowing out of a, a different set of intentions. Any of you identifying with none of these? Maybe, maybe I took it in a wrong direction today. We'll see how we go. We'll see how we go. Um, number four, anyone know people that just sort of like to get you to do stuff that is good for them? Sometimes they're called manipulators and they're not great in the kingdom of God. What is this? Uh, what are the words that come out of people like that? How do we avoid being something like that? Well, what happens is somebody does something for us one time and it really blesses us. Maybe they come up to you and say, you know what, 
That was really great. I really enjoyed the worship today. You're a fantastic worship leader. You really inspire me in worship. And you think, wow, as a worship leader, wow, that really, that felt great. I feel really good. And then no one says that you did great in worship for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And what you do is you go up to somebody and say, how, how was the worship today? Was it good? What did you think? What did you, what did you really think? Now, don't tell me the real truth, but what did you really think? Oh, great. I've got my needs met. Or sometimes there are people like this where they go up to somebody and they say, you know, um, my friend, you know, I, I, what's God saying to you right now? What's God saying to you right now? Oh, well, you know, he's been talking to me about this, he's been talking to me about that. Oh, yeah, I, I really see that. I, re- I, you know, I really see I, and I just want to affirm that. I really want to bless that. You know, that, that is so true of you. And please, don't be too hard on yourself, you know, because I know you've got a tendency to be a little bit religious. Um, but, you know, I re- really, actually, I believe the Lord would add to that and take it in a fresh direction. And what begins to happen is now the person is now somebody that is a voice of God in your life. They are helping you hear from God in your life. And now you can start to come up to people like, oh, so... Uh, I'm really struggling with this situation. What, what do I do? Well, I believe the Lord would say, and suddenly this subtle manipulation starts to come into your life of unhealthy interaction. Now, what's the in-person's intention if they're manipulating you? The intention is, let me keep you exactly where I want you. Because if I can keep you exactly where I want you, then if I need anything from you in the future, you will be coming to me. Now, how do we remedy that? Yield control. It's deeply unsatisfying, actually. You know how frustrating it is when you're like, dude, I thought you said you were coming out. Seriously. Where are you? Come on now. Come on. You told me you were coming, and then they show up, and they're all mad, and you're just sitting there like, well, I wish you hadn't come now. I wish you'd stayed at home. But manipulation doesn't ever satisfy, even in that simple example. But what about if you multiply it across different situations in your life? So that's an intention to look out for. We're not out here to control people. We're not even out here to, for people to do what we want them to do. We're out here to experience a relationship with other people, and that means them being free to do what they do, and we're free to do what we do within the context of following Christ. Still no examples connected with? All right. Um, okay, how many of you know people that do this? God has told me and I'm going to do this. I've really been praying about my situation right now. God has told me that I need to move country. I need to join this relationship. I need to leave that job for that job. God has told me. But what are they saying? Their intention is, I want to live a life uh, where I can blame God for all of my mistakes. I'm not going to take responsibility for my own decisions. I'm also going to make God responsible if things don't work out then that way I can blame him. Now, it's a challenge because if ever we say things like that, God has told me, what we're doing is not only removing ourselves from responsibility for the situation, but we're saying to the person who's trying to communicate with us, I don't really care what you have to say. Don't speak into my life. Don't challenge any of my decisions. Don't ever even think about having an opinion about the things that I'm doing. Because God has told me. Now, what kind of a relationship is that? How can we genuinely interact with someone on that basis? We can't. And neither does God, I believe, speak like that. If he speaks to you, then it will be validated by the wisdom of others. But if you have to override the counsel of others, it's no wisdom at all. What about one of these situations where you might be somebody that's been hurt in the past, someone that's been led into a place of untrust, being untru- untrusting, things like, I really can't trust you as a leader, I really can't trust you as a friend, I, I really, I don't want to commit to this place, this job, I don't want to commit to this church, I don't want to commit to this cell group, because I really just don't trust people. Now the intention is to protect myself from any possible hurt. The action is avoid, avoid, avoid. What's the remedy? The remedy is to forgive to build trusting relationships where you need other people. 
Any of you come across the number seven, that the everything is perfect Christian? Any of you got those everything is perfect Christians? Those, these everything is perfect Christians are afraid of anything that's not the blessing of God. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, I'm, I'm just really, I'm really struggling right now. Don't, 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 don't declare that of yourself. You can't be struggling right now. What are you talking about? You're a Christian. You're a Christian. You declared that. Don't declare that of yourself. Don't say you're sick. Don't say you're tired. Oh, oh, you know, if you don't, I I really feel if you don't apologize for that, you know, God's blessing's not going to be on your life. And then you face a situation where maybe something goes wrong. Uh, Maybe somebody gets sick, a serious disease, and you're like, what did they do? I mean, I'm a blessed Christian. I've I've done everything that Jesus asked me to do. And look at me, I've got, I've got family, I've got two kids, I've got a great job, I've got a car, I've got a house in London. That's an amazing miracle. You know, everything's fantastic. But what did they do? I mean, I thought that they were a serious Christian. Are they really in sin? They must be in sin for them to be in this situation right now. And then what we start to communicate is, uh, you know what, I'm going to pray for you. Scary, sin-filled Christian. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there for you. I'm going to declare positive stuff over your life. What's the intention? They are trying to protect their blessed life bubble however they can. But what's the reality? The reality is that good stuff happens to good people and bad people. Bad stuff happens to good people and bad people. What's the distinction? Christians know how to weather the trials by the grace of God. Other people don't necessarily have that grace of God to know how to weather the trial. That's the distinction, is knowing that I'm going through this by the grace of God. We aren't Christians so that we can be blessed. We're Christians so that we know how to walk through life with God, whether difficulties come our way or whether good stuff comes our way. Number eight. Have we ever come across the, this kind of a Christian? And most pastors probably fall into this one. The dominant alpha Christian. Any of you heard of those kind of people? Um, and what, what their kind of communication is, is, seriously, you know, I've been talking to you about how to do relationships. I've been telling you from the platform about how to build healthily. I've been telling you about how to set healthy boundaries, healthy relationships. And uh, you haven't got this figured out yet. What are you doing? You're supposed to have it straight. Come on, Christians. Let's line up. Let's get it figured out. What's going on underneath the intention? I'm afraid that you, as a church member, might make me look bad because I've been trying to do my best and you're still messing up. That's what's being communicated when you start to communicate like that. And it's, it's not good because what happens is anger, short-temperedness, lots of Bible whacking around the head. That isn't what God calls us to do. Words are called to be used to build people up in love, to edify them, to encourage them knowing that the mess that people create doesn't define them. Number nine, the fake saviors. Some of you might have these fake saviors in your life. Any of you have a friend where, you know, you're just going through a real difficult time and they come alongside. They come and spend time with you. You know what? Spending time with you, you know, you are so amazing. And I just want to encourage you because God has placed so many gifts in you. And here's a prophetic word. Do you think I'm amazing yet? No? Okay, let me tell you a little bit more about how great you are. Because, um, you know, I really want to show, you know, God has been doing such amazing stuff in your life, and I really see you've been such an encouragement to me. Um, And then they're like, yeah, yeah, I feel great. Do you feel great? You better feel great. I'm going to pray for you. I've blessed you now. What's the intention of the fake Savior? The intention of the fake Savior is always make me feel great. Because I deserve it. I need you to think I'm awesome. And what's the actions that that person develop, uh, exhibits? I'm doing super great right now. God has shown me some stuff about how difficult life is for other people. And I'm just going to help them. Actually, as long as I can help others and spend all of my time doing that without ever considering what's going on in me, then it's all good. And then a few months later, you go up to that fake savior and you're like, uh, I really need some more help. And their response, well, what do you need me for? I'm, I'm, I'm on my new project. And you really shouldn't still be so needy because, you know, I did give you that prophetic word. And that was a great time, wasn't it? 
They're no longer in your life. Fake saviors. Now, I guess if you went away and spent some time and looking at different situations, you might identify some of those dynamics going on in your life. But what does Christ call us to? He calls us to sit down and consider something. Listen, we don't have pure intentions. Neither do we always speak the right things that God is calling us to speak. And sitting down and saying, you know what, God? When I look at my situation, when I look at my friends, when I look at the relationships that I have, when I look at the things that I'm trying to build, I'm tired of faking it. I want to build real, genuine relationships. I want to be the same in public as I am in private. I want what comes out of my mouth to reveal what's going on inside of me. And for that to happen, I need help. Is that where you're at? Because that's where I'm at, personally. All of us need to come to the place where we say, you know what? I want to I start to speak words that bless. I want to have pure intentions and motives for ministering to other people. I desire integrity on the inside. And on the outside, I'm seeing an impenetrable distance between me and my friends, between me and the people that I'm trying to minister to, between me and the people I'm trying to do life with. How can I start to walk towards uh, a genuine relationship with them? I think it begins with a bit of transparency and a bit of vulnerability. Colin was talking about it this morning. I'm messed up, you're messed up. But how do we together become more like Christ calls us to become? And it's actually quite a big process. There are some challenges that we need to go through. Maybe you find yourself in a situation where somebody in front of you is saying stuff that is really maybe making you angry. Maybe they're breaking a commitment to you. Maybe they're letting you down. Maybe they're saying something about how much they've messed up and you start to get angry. What would we normally do? We'd normally just go rah and say everything that's in our heart to say. But what about we take a different approach? Think before we speak. Ask ourselves, why am I feeling like this? Why am I feeling angry? Because the things you say in a rush often will be that which we regret. But if we take a moment and ask, why am I feeling like this? Then we might get to actually what we want to communicate. I'm really feeling upset because I feel like you're breaking an agreement. It's different to you. You always do this. I can't trust you. I can't believe you. You're always letting me down. Right? So how, why am I reacting the way I'm reacting? And if you've got nothing good to say, then don't say something. Maybe that's a great place to start. Second thing maybe we can do after why am I feeling like this is to begin to use two words, basically at the base level, that restore our integrity in things that we say. The th one's a three-letter word, one's a two-letter word. They're the easiest words we can learn. And we all learned them when we were kids and we seem to have forgotten one of them. Yes and no. Any of you have both yes and no in your vocabulary? Now, some people say yes and they mean no. Hey, um, are you going to be there on Friday? Yeah, 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 I'll be there. I got a thing before, but I'll be there about nine o'clock. Come nine o'clock, you call in. Where are you at? No, no phone, no pick up of the call. You wait till 10, no pick up of the call. You see them the next day, what happened to you? Uh, yeah, I, I was at another party. They meant no. They should have just said no. Oh, can you do this for me? Yes, yes, I can do it for you. Never get it done. Sometimes people say no when they mean yes. Now, this has created all kinds of problems in the world today. The fact that people don't know how to say no and mean no and say yes and mean yes. You know what the Bible teaches us? If we've said yes, do yes. I'm going to give you 200 pounds. Oh, wait, when I look in my wallet, I'm not saying this to you all today because that's a bit of a... But when I look in my wallet, well, actually, I've only got 50 pounds. But I've said I'm going to give you 200. I'll give you 200. I am going to come and help you move house. Means you get in your car, even if you're sick, even if you feel like you want to pass out, and you go and help move house. I am going to, um, I am going to help you with your homework. 
You help with the homework. I am going to cook dinner tonight. You cook dinner tonight. Whatever it is, whatever you say you're going to do, you do it even though it costs you. Isn't it? You know what happens is we count words as cheap. I said yes, and I can get away with no, and you're not going to say anything about it. But if we're going to talk about intentions and words, we need to be people that say yes and do yes. See, the worst thing about Christians sometimes in public is that you say yes and you mean no, and people don't trust you. If they don't trust you, they don't want your gospel. If they don't trust what you're saying, they don't want to live life like you live your life. We have to be able to say yes and mean yes, no and mean no. And that means we've got to stop making excuses for the greatness that God sees in us. You as a powerful person can say no. Hey man, I really need you to do this for me. No, I'm really sorry, I can't do it. Oh, let me go away and check and check my calendar. I'll come back to you, then come back to them and say, no, I cannot do it. Not wait and figure it out and see what really goes on. Integrity in intentions and words. Don't be somebody that goes missing in action. Keep your phone on if you've promised to call somebody, if they've promised to call you. That's basic. But then there's a great continuation on this, effective communication. It starts on Thursday. If we want to learn how to choose words to communicate what's the love that is inside of us. How can we start to minister to people? How can we start to, out of pure intentions and desire to bless people, start to speak words of life? How can we start to minister and encourage people and release life into them? See, maturity as a Christian begins with the fact that we understand that we're not going to go off into temporary fake sacrifice. We're not going to start to take detours into manipulation or fear. We're not going to say things that we don't mean, but we're going to humbly sit before the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I don't want to keep living two lives or five lives or however many lives. I want to live one life where I do what I say and I say what I do and people know that they can rely on me and people know that I am telling exactly what I'm going to do because I believe that that reveals Jesus. Amen? So I kind of went a bit of a roundabout way today, trying something different. But I hope that I hit you with some key points, especially around the issue that we need pure intentions, pure words to come out. And that means sitting before Christ and humbly saying, I've not got that. And I need to review that and I need to go deeper with Jesus. Amen? All right, bless you. Thank you. Let's welcome Max.